Welcome to the Restless Midlifer podcast, helping you get life back on your terms and recapture that spirit of adventure. Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of the Restless Midlifer and this is another bonus interview and it's with a long-term friend David Charlton who is a sports psychologist and um, you're now predominantly working with athletes one-on-one aren't you uh, David so do you want to say hi and introduce yourself? Yeah hi Dave um, really excited to be on the show um, yeah a little I suppose a little bit of background for, for the listeners so yeah I am a sports psychologist and I do predominantly support athletes as well as some executives, um, the, I suppose the way I see my role it's to it's to help people improve their performance so they they can perform at their best to their optimal level on a on a consistent basis. And really, how I go about it is by developing their mental toughness. And there's also links there with their their well being, their their mental health as well. Yeah, cool. And and I guess this is what we wanted to sort of dive in. Well, I mean, we've known each other for, for years now and the conversations we've had over the years have been around, obviously, this topic. Because for me, mental well-being and mental health well-being and that is a really important part of um, our life and what have you. But so is also having some direction of travel, having some goals and then having finding the resources and the tools that help us move towards that. And obviously we've talked about mental toughness in the past, so we'll probably no doubt tap into that. Um, but how, I guess just a little bit of background for yourself. How did you get into this um, uh, this line of work, I guess, is a good place to start? Right. Um, <laughs> how long have you got? <laughs> <laughs> so, you yeah. Funny enough, it was uh, in the midlife, if you like, or so it was in my 30s. Um, if you go back to 2007, 2008, it was a it was a really difficult time for us. Um, my my wife had been diagnosed with cancer, and um, so this was in August 2007. She she sadly died in the the November 2008. So during that period, it was a obviously very tough. Really, you know, you're trying to process what's going on, but also from a I suppose from a, a selfish point of view you know you your life is going to continue so as I'm as I'm grieving as I'm going through difficult times I'm also thinking well what do I want to do with my life and it was at the time I worked as a as a branch manager in the travel industry and I didn't really want to be doing that for the rest of my my life um so so I started then thinking well when when things do change you know will I actually you know go through and make a change will I change my career and um, I had had half an eye on the fact that I wanted to be a a sports psychologist and then what so she died in the November 2008 and then I was faced actually with a decision in June 2009 um, we had the the recession in the in the UK at the time and I'd been made redundant from my role so it was a case of do you stick at what you do, stay in the same line of industry because there were some some options, or do you take that ballsy decision and um, yeah go for a complete career change? So yeah, based on that that difficult period where I'd done a lot of reflecting and thinking about what I wanted to do, I decided right actually look if you don't do it now, you're never going to do it. Um, so off I went to to university with all the. 18, 19 year olds um, in my 30s. Um, 
So I did a, I did a degree at Sunderland University in, in psychology, followed by a master's degree in sports psychology, and then a, a two-year period of supervised practice to, to become HCPC registered and, and chartered as a, as a sports psychologist. So that, in a, yeah, in a nutshell, is uh, how, how it all evolved. Yeah, and I can only imagine the the, the tough times, uh, mate. And uh, obviously, sorry for for your loss. And I, and I guess um, you know, life can pitch a lot of things at us, and it's it's what what happens out of that. So it sounds like obviously the, the that period shaped a lot of you know from the reflection some of the decisions that you made moving forward, and in terms of it you moved to the psych did just 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 out of curiosity in terms of the study around the psychology and the sports psychology how did, did you find anything personal from that in terms of your own development and you know your own coping toolkit I guess because one of the things I found you know in, in my own development study you know around the masters in the coaching side was it was very there was a lot of personal impact on on me in terms of that development you know adding some tools to the kit some reflection and some insights um whew, yeah i mean there was loads and in, in, in some ways because because i was going through a difficult period when i was studying for the degree and i had a hell of a lot of self-doubt um, i'm in my 30s hadn't studied for 15 years i'm thinking well will i actually be able to attain a degree for starters mm-hmm. um so yeah i was i was i was like a saver i mean i suppose i loved it really i was i was reading all the time but in some ways that was it was probably quite detrimental to to um, to my performance in the degree because I was soaking up so much. My brain yeah. was absolutely fried and bad, really. Yeah. Um, uh, I suppose now, you know, I, I, I try to direct people and tell them to be targeted in the way they go about things. But it's, yeah, it's easier said than done at, at times. Yeah, that, that's a that's. I, I totally relate to that, and, and actually, I found that a lot when, when I. A bit like you, I mean, I, I started the Masters, it was part-time, so I wasn't sort of pitched into working, you know, doing a full-time study with, with 18, 19-year-olds. But even so, we were in that world of of learning, and it was, you know, I love learning anyway, and just the wealth of stuff there. And and a bit like the, um, what is it, the, uh, the dog off up, where it's like, bird squirrel you know and, it, and heads all over there's anything i was i was wanting to pick up and learn everything um as were me co- the colleagues on the on the program as well and and, it, and i think the turning point was realizing actually you can't you've just got to focus on what's your outcome to pass the blooming course and to pick up that you can explore other stuff outside of that so i i totally get the targeted thing as well because it's an exciting it's exciting to learn isn't it you know and develop and, and grow in the in these ways definitely i, th- I think what i found as well though when i I suppose in hindsight now, I think there was a probably a lack of trust there. As I said, mm. I wasn't sure whether I could I could do it. So yeah, for a, for a long period, I wrestled with the fact that yeah, will I? Will I not? Um, so I, I was like, I suppose I was by learning more and more and as much as I possibly could. That was yeah, that was me trying to um, make up for the fact that I didn't really believe in myself. Yeah. Um, so yeah, definitely that lesser less is more mentality is the is the way forward. And as you say, just to be able to concentrate, right? What I need to do is pass this exam or pass this um, module or whatever it is, and just focus on on the on the necessary is is the way forward. Yeah, and do you find that that's something? I think you kind of hinted at it before, but you find that that's something that you help your clients with in terms of 
you know, maintain that focus, having a target. Yeah, I mean, if, if we go back to, to mental toughness, I mean, one element of that is called goal orientation. Yeah. Um, and then you've got another part, which is in achievement orientation. So I suppose m most sports people, athletes, I would say, and you, you know, your business professionals, execs, they, they are quite goal orientated, aren't they? That they're, they're like setting goals. Mm. But then you'll you'll get some who are very short term orientated and they, they can't see the bigger picture. So so my work will be to yeah, help them help shift their perspective and help them realize that by working on the stuff that they are working on right now isn't necessarily going to get them the outcome three, six, nine months down the line. Um and then vice versa, you find some people when it comes down to their goals are the very I suppose dreamy like they they are nine months, twelve months, two years down the line, but actually their behaviours don't really match up with them yeah. with their goals. Just I suppose yeah, New Year they have New Year's resolution fever if you like. Yeah, yeah. Um, so then then it's yeah chunking the task down and yeah, what are you going to do today? What are you going to do tomorrow? What are you going to do this week to to be able to attain those goals? Yeah. So in terms of that goal orientation, because I think this is this is something that many of us find. I know I found it when I first started to feel like that. That question started to resonate. Is this it? You know, is this me stuck in this job? Blah, blah, blah. You know, um, the answer to it is no, it's not. There's a lot more. But actually allowing yourself to sort of imagine or dream that it could be different is, is important. But then start to make that tangible and start to turn it into something. Yeah, I mean, that, that's certainly something I, I did um, when I was going through that re reflective period when Alex was ill. Um, I, th I think I would say one of the difficulties I had, I, I mean, I am a big picture person and do look longer term. But I, I think I, for a period, I was probably spending too much time in the future. Yeah. Um, and bringing it back to, to chunking it down was, was so vitally important um i mean there was there was there was quite a period of time where i wasn't able really to to be putting the steps in place i just had mm. to to um to plan really um yeah where, where, where are we going with this <laughs> yeah. um so i suppose what yeah what i like to do when i'm when i'm helping people though is is recognize um yeah whether they are as i say spending too much time future orientated or whether they are like actually in the present moment and they are doing the, the, the necessary things. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's an important part of this, isn't it? Because we need to do both, but we need to make sure they're aligned because, um, you know, that sort of fanciful thinking of what it could be is important, but we then do need to sort of bring them back to, well, what am I doing in the day to day? And the challenge is, I guess, and I, 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 just to kind of what I'm really sort of interested in is what can we learn from, the you know the the work you've done with the athletes and those who are particularly driven in that respect what kind of lessons learned but I think the challenge is that day to day life can often get in the way can't it all the demands and responsibilities and and the things that that sort of coming at you from left field can often mean that there's a there is a disconnect between what you're doing day to day and that future so there might be a tendency to do that to be a bit of a dreamer etc and I think I I certainly was very much of that in in my early years. And it wasn't until I started to go, right, hang on a minute, unless I actually bring it down to some action right now, that's not going to even get it, 
come anywhere near me, you know, that, that outcome that I want. So that disconnect needs to be sort of uh, recognized and then sort of brought into line. So any thoughts on that? And, you know, in terms of it, because you, you obviously identifying the different characteristics within the people you work. How do you go about sort of aligning those things? So I'm just going to add one more thing in here as well, yeah. where you talked about being distracted. So obviously I mentioned about the future and the, the present. What I haven't alluded to is the past. Right. You can find yeah. a lot of people, and I know I was guilty of it, and I know a lot of like, my clients would be where they're stuck in the past based on, um, let's say, what things they've done in the past, um, expectations that they've got, and that would cause them anger and frustration, and mm. it would then set them off on the wrong path. Whereas also, if you are too future-focused, focused, you can get yourself like really, really overwhelmed by the goal. So then you, you yeah. end up sort of yeah, doing doing nothing at all. Mm. Um, so I suppose I, I'm going to actually, I'll share a, 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 an instance um, for, for myself, which links to all of this. So again, I'm, I am going back to that period, the difficult period. Mm. So I, I decided that I would run my first marathon when Alex was ill. Um, in, in 2008 um i was doing it like for my well for my well-being i saw it as a, as a as a good coping mechanism rather than um like drinking myself to, to um an yeah. early grave sort of thing yeah. so getting out running and i mean at the time I, I did run quite quite frequently um but the the thought of actually running a marathon um when i was at the time i was probably running like about six miles Mm. Um, what was quite overwhelming. So bit by bit, I would gradually increase the mileage. Um, so so maybe I'm trying to think, I'd probably run 15 miles initially a week. Then it would be up to 20, 25, 30, until I got to the point where I'm, I'm up to about what, 50 miles a week. Um, and the, I suppose every, every time I'm doing this, I'm... I'm I'm getting more and more confidence in, in the fact that I'm able to to achieve the goal. Um, I was also like writing down, and which I think is important, the the fact that I was I was doing what it was I was doing. Um, I was I was writing down the like all of the detail, really, my heart rate, the the length of runs, the things like that, to to to, to really help me. Um, and that was boosting my motivation, my confidence as, I, as I'm going along. Um, yeah, where am I going with this? Help me. <laughs> yeah, I guess I guess that's a question of like, you had the goal, but it's how do you bring it into line with, you know, what you're actually doing day to day. So you, it sounds like you were, you'd set that up, but then you were you were starting to take the step-by-step -step action. Step action. You, were, you mentioned chunking down a few times, and obviously that ties in with me cabbages and sprouts, you know, slicing the cabbage up and chunking it into sprout-sized chunks. Um, and I think that's a way to translate, you know, that goal that you have into the day-to-day, -day, because mm -hmm. sometimes if you struggle for that and how to fit it into a busy day, you know, that's a way to do that almost. No, exactly. But I mean, by I suppose by chunking it down, um, yeah, yeah, you're taking control of that that particular situation, as you as you say. Um, when, when I look back at it, I mean, one of the models I, I I refer to quite a lot around well-being from my work um, is basic psychological needs from it's taken from self-determination theory. 
Um, so you've got three basic psychological needs. You've got autonomy, so which is essentially it's a sense of control over your your destiny, over your future. You've got competence, so feeling like you can master a task, and then relatedness, which links to to being connected to to other people. Mm. So in order to me, order for me to achieve that that goal of the marathon, um, the the autonomy bit was, as you said, the, the chunking down the the route to be able to get there um, the each week um, and having a plan. The competence links to the fact I was I was doing it, and then I was getting a sense of pride and um, like elation and you know, good feelings from from the doing. But then the the relatedness I was I was running with I was running with friends, um, and I'd also joined a club at the time, so I was connected to other people. Um, I know I know recently um, because of personal circumstances. I mean I'm I'm remarried and I've got two kids. It, time is is very difficult, and I find when I go out running now, I, I go out by myself, mm. um, and I know I lose that sense of connectedness, and it has a big impact on. On like on my running, often these days, <laughs> a run ends up into a bit of a a run come walk. In all honesty, because I just don't have that desire. I feel like, yeah, yeah. I think that's that's important. And I, I've heard that sort of framed. Actually, I was delivering a session on Monday with um, some doctors, and there were there was some research. Off the top of my head, I can't remember who who did it, but he talked about the ABC because it ties in with the doctor's ABC for first aid. You know, um, it's autonomy, belonging, which is the relatedness and the competence. And I think it's 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 a good thing to think about the elements, isn't it? Because ha- taking back some control, you know, when your life is full of stresses and strains and demands, and you have these goals, it can feel almost like that's unachievable. What's the point? And as you say, your past stories. I, I often like think about the stories we tell ourselves. The past shapes those stories, doesn't it? And if those stories are telling you, well, what's the point, man? It's you know, just get your head down and do this and stop, stop being a dreamer or whatever they are. You know, those kinds of stories we need to um, take back and re-narrate them and and really shift them to get that sense of our control and autonomy back. But to do that, like you say, we need to develop the skills. I've found, particularly over the last few years um, with the lockdown, that the community side, that belonging, has been critical in um, in getting me back on track in some of my health goals. You know, the I, listeners know I talk about CrossFit a bit, but it's it's the community there that's really helped motivate me to build it in um, as a regular thing, because I know the class that I go to, I'm going to see the same faces, have the smiles, have the banda, you know, that kind of thing. It's really important to do in terms of motivation as well as progression. Uh, hugely, no, I completely agree. I mean, when, you, when you're talking about what COVID times and community, I, I can remember there was we started off with a WhatsApp group of about four of us um, do, doing some runs um, when it was the, the full-blown lockdown, and it ended up where there was about... It was about 40, 50 of us in this group and we're doing like different virtual runs. And at that yeah. time it was it was brilliant. It really it, it motivated you. A lot of banter going on, as you say, and um it was it was good fun. It was yeah, I could probably do with a little bit of that now in, <laughs> in all honesty. Um but can, can I just go back to the the three, so the autonomy, competence, and relatedness. I yeah. It's an important one for people to be aware of the the traps that they fall into because mm. because i find I my mean, that's was personally and then again at a 
probably a professional level because I'm working with with athletes. A lot, a lot of these people can fall into the the, the confidence trap where the, they end up working so damn hard um, that the, the the place like all I, I suppose all eggs in the in the confidence basket, if you like, um, and then that becomes detrimental to being connected and like the related to to other people mm. um and then if you overdo it you can feel like you don't have a sense of autonomy control over your, your destiny you you end up feeling quite helpless so being i think being aware of of when you are overly stressed and pressurized what trap you fall into um is is really really useful and then you can find ways to to just change change the um yeah, change that, change those habits. A quick update. The Restless Midlifer Academy is now open, and I'm also running a series of six-week reshape accelerator programs aimed at getting your health, weight, and self-confidence back on track. Head over to restlessmidlifer.com to check out the programs. So just just on that, I kind of what popped in my head was the image of a, a graphic equalizer in the sense that you know the competence one is way up and the others are dropped down, which means that you're you're out of kilter really. Um, and I get that. So is is it sort of a similar thing? And you know, you're talking about the athletes who are competent working really hard. You know, you might have somebody who's a professional at work, really good at what they do, and can almost get trapped in that cycle. Um, yeah. 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 Um, I mean, I, I work with athletes who who they might be involved in team sports or individual sports, but yeah. certainly the like the individual sport. Um, I'll go with like a professional golfer for argument's sake. They're um, they're self-employed in effect. They've got nobody. Nobody's going to do it for them. Um, it, it's solely up to them. Yeah. It can be quite a lonely profession. So. You might actually be a professional golfer who is a sociable creature, but because you've got to put in the hours and hours of dedicated practice, you may well end up spending a hell of a lot of time by yourself, mm. um, which then it can become the detriment of your performance. Um, so you, you have to find ways to, to either outside of your golf, outside of your, the way you spend in your days, so you are connected with other people, or you actually shape the way you, you practice, so you, you're having little challenges with other people, you, 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 you're around lots of people. But the, often the trap, certainly in golf, can be where people are trying to perfect technique, and then what happens when they're trying to perfect technique is they, they fall into doing hours and hours of boring, mindless practice by themselves, which, um, as I say, then goes on to, to have, a, have a negative impact. So, so understanding, I think, your personality style is is massively important. Mm -hmm. I think that's an interesting one. So just to kind of tease that out a little bit more then, when we're talking about that golfer, and you're talking about that they fall into mindless practice. I've heard the term, I think it's around triathlons. A friend of mine, I think Simon Ward, who's been a guest on the podcast, talks about junk training. And the idea that actually, you know, you can end up doing more. You think more is more is more, you know, and actually, um, or more is better. But actually, it's junk training, which has a counter effect on that. And 
is that is that kind of similar because i'm trying i'm also trying to sort of look at uh, comparisons with you know if you're if you're a successful professional in whatever career you might be a lawyer you might be in the health um or something like that and you know you are really good at your job um and because of that you might take more on take a lot of pride in it there's a lot of pressure to be you know you know for those successful people there's always more to do you know in terms of that um and perhaps feeling a bit isolated by that yeah, I mean, well, I suppose let's talk about it from a from a business context. I think a lot of people got into the habit, didn't they, over over COVID, where they if they, if they were passionate about what they did and they were again goal orientated, pretty successful. Where they, they what the forty hour week turned into 42, 43, 45. Yeah. forty two, forty five hour week turned into fifty. The fifty turned into fifty five, and yeah. um, we've. Then yeah, I suppose that because they they weren't necessarily socialising with with people as much as they normally would do, um, yeah, that 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 confidence tank, if you like, was was really really full. Mm. Um, and then if you, I suppose, if you add into now, I'm changing the model here now. So thinking about mental toughness, um, I think a lot of people, from what I've seen, struggled with and maybe still are. Um, would be if we think about emotional control which is an element of mental toughness and um, even the most emotionally controlled person during that period would have did find it quite tough mm. simply because they they weren't connected with people the way they used to be so they weren't able to offload and just have boring mindless conversations i suppose and um and just have them whinging and moan about different things so they weren't offloading um, and they were just banging into their into their work being more and more confident i suppose at that at that work um but they weren't sharing so it was i suppose you would end up with a bottleneck of emotion and feelings stuck stuck in the body mm. so then yeah they might you know they might have issues with anger or, or, or whatever it is and I, I mean i've certainly found that with a, a lot of um, organizations work with because of the blurring of the boundaries people work longer and yes they might have interacted but they've interacted more from a transactional and professional aspect so you're right that there's a difference between getting on a teams meeting or a zoom call to sort something out versus to just have a bit of company there's a totally different dynamic there so you i think you're right in terms of so what you're saying is you find or is this what you're saying in terms of that emotional processing as well? That if it's sort of bottled up, if it's not processed in what might have been typical ways that we would, you know, most of us would do that, I guess, in our own way, um, that that spills into the performance, whether, you know, in business or, or the, the athlete, you know, in terms of their sort of getting in the way of their performance. Is that, is that what? Right? Yeah, yeah. I suppose that's what we're, we're alluding to, um, whereby you, you end up working so hard. And I think, you, you know, you, you can prolong that for a, for a period and you, you'll be all right i suppose your, your performance won't suffer but like let's be honest we've, we've all got like limited sort of shelf life to to be able to maintain that and the batteries start fading gradually slowly and then um yeah be, before you know it yeah yeah, yeah your, your performances are suffering maybe your, your relationships might be suffering th th things like that um you just your general your general enjoyment of 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 what you do and different tasks that that suffers as well yeah yeah i often think about it is that you talk about the tank that see it as a bit of a like a coping reserve that's your emotional psychological coping tank and if that's being pulled in 
you know, pulled in in terms of the strain from the work you do, whether it's long hours or overtraining, as you say. But you're not filling the tank. It's gonna it's gonna end up running dry. So our our ability to cope with even the, the most trivial things starts to to suffer, I guess, as well. You know, and things, routines, and motivation can start to fall apart. Um, it's interesting, isn't it? So in terms of what what do you find works well with you you know when you when you work with clients in terms of this I appreciate obviously it's an individual approach but what what do you find works well in sort of helping them recalibrate and get back on track in terms of effective performance effective training um, and looking after themselves in the process good good question <laughs> <laughs> right where do we where do we start yeah I, I suppose well one thing what, what I what I like to do is um, help people draw a, what I would call like a well-being pyramid so what that would look like would be at the very bottom you would have on a day-to-day -day level what what do i need to be doing in order to to help myself help help myself feel good and ensure that my energy levels are, are topped up to the max mm. and then as you as you go up the pyramid it might be you move from daily habits to to weekly habits to to monthly habits to like quarterly habits mm. Um, and in all in all cases, as I say, it, it's going to these different habits are going to have have an impact on on your well being. So you know it might be um, let let's say your sleep that that's an important one for whether you're an athlete or a, a business professional. You need to make sure you, you you've got a, a good sleeping good sleeping habits and patterns there. So obviously, ideally, somewhere around about what, seven to, to nine-ish hours. Um, it might be, I mean, I, I know from obviously working with sports people, um, exercise or like stretching exercises, things like that, first thing in the morning, they they, they find, you know, that, that sets them up nicely for the day. Um, again, nutrition, having a, having a good breakfast is, is, a, is, uh, is, is helpful. Um, what I actually, I suppose, from a well-being standpoint, what I try to to um, encourage people to do is think about the gratitudes as well. Um, so I'm all for trying to to say get yourself a gratitude gratitude journal, make that part of your morning routine when you you know when you're having your breakfast, perhaps just write down two or three things that you are actually grateful for, and it might be like the taste of your breakfast, it might be the mm -hmm. The sight of the sun outside, the blue sky, um, just simple things that in your life. Um, the what the like maybe the weekly things would be reading. You might want to do some reading or watch a watch a film once a week. The so you, you know you, so you're actually switching off from from your work, from your your um, from your sport. The so I suppose social things as well might fall into to, to weekly or or if you if you've got a busy life like my, like myself with kids it might, it might end up being more of a monthly thing. Yeah. Um, I, I know like, like personally for for myself, um, if I was looking at it on a monthly basis, if I, if I can actually play golf myself twice a month, then I know that helps me because I'm I'm spending some time with my mates and I'm also getting some fresh air and um, doing something I really enjoy doing um, from a, a, a and as you as you branch it out further 
whether that's bi-monthly or quarterly it might be you know you make sure you have a long weekend or you you take a break you take a holiday or you do something that you really enjoy doing um for me it would be it would be going over to the lake district and, and hiking a hill every every three months or so um having a spa day with um my other half with, with kirsty um that that keeps my tank topped up so i can perform at a good level and feel good and feel better about myself yeah and do you know i like that as a visualization as well i've not i've not sort of seen that before in terms of a, a way to look at it but i love it because i think you're right it, it i often think about the, the architecture of your life and how do you structure you know your architecture you know you've got the stuff you need to do but the architecture like a well-being architecture is around that isn't it what do you do daily and what do you do weekly monthly and then quarterly i love that idea of you know trying to think that way because the day-to-day -day things are going to be the small sprout size things that you do i guess then weekly a little bit bigger then maybe monthly it'll be a bigger event and then even quarterly a bigger event but it gives you the opportunity to then start to consider and plan those things in and it's a planning and then committing to them that gives them a chance of actually happening yeah massively and I, I like it as well as you say from a visual perspective you can i think if you i am a visual learner um so i suppose it, it, it just helps me straight away tick some boxes or notice actually i'm not yeah i'm not doing this and again i think i, I find a lot of a lot of my clients are quite visual i think it might be a, it might be a sporting thing so they, they find it useful mm. um where, where i got it from was one of my podcasts um a guy nick grantham he's a strength and conditioning coach he, he wrote a book on it was on rest and recovery in sport and um what you what you find in sport is um the like the new sexy things um whether it's um like foam rollers um spiky balls yeah. people wearing um tights and things like that ice baths those are sort of things that are um seen as well seen as sort of sexy and very short-term impact things for, for your, your rest and recovery and sport mm. but actually if you just do the basics and you, and yeah. you um have the basic foundations you eat well you you sleep well um and and uh, yeah you take care of those little things and you know it goes a long way yeah and i think that's a that's a good point to tie into that isn't it because it and I think this is the challenge when we're trying to embark on a goal or a health, you know, a health improvement or anything really, is that you can get that shiny object syndrome like I was talking about before, that, oh, there's that, there's a foam roller, there's this, you know. Um, and, you know, I follow a few people in the CrossFit community and they're all, you know, for all I, I, I admire them as the athletes, they're all selling something as well, whether it's a protein shake or a, or a new thing that, uh, you know, vibrating pressure, <laughs> large whatever it is, you know, and it's very easy to think that's the solution. And actually you're right, you know, and I think you come back to the basics, the solid basics of what are the foundational habits? What are those things? And I love that visual. Uh, yeah, maybe I'm, I'm visual in this sense in that I can say that, that, you know, and maybe for listeners even thinking about that, you know, grab a pen and a bit of paper, a notepad, and just even draw that pyramid out and think, right, okay, so what would be my day-to-day? -day? What would be one or two or three even day-to-day -day habits? What one weekly thing or a couple of weekly things um, and then one monthly, one quarterly that would contribute to my sense of recharging the batteries, well-being, reconnecting? And you mentioned a couple of ingredients. One is obviously time to do something you enjoy, but also time for connection because that goes back to that um, relatedness, doesn't it? You know, that idea there, you're getting a double whammy, in the activity you're getting sort of two for one i guess in some of them if you can tie it in with that relatedness 
it's really powerful massively yeah no doubt about it it is it's, yeah. it's hugely powerful just tying the two in together yeah. but what i what i tend to do i do a similar exercise with athletes around confidence because i mean really if you think of confidence from a an athlete's perspective we'll I'll, I'll use a footballer for example um if they're a striker and their jobs to score goals it's basically being able to see the fact that they can put the ball in the top corner and then execute it yeah so again that pyramid comes in well on a day-to-day level are you doing the things that you need to do to make you feel good and confident to be able to complete the task to right. put in the top corner then are you doing the the weekly things the the, the monthly things and you know and it's 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 again it's, it's very very similar really yeah um which gets back to the where you talked about with we're going back to the training side of things. If there are any sporty people listening to this, then are you actually, you know, helping yourself feel more confident by doing what you do in your practice and your training? Mm. Um, and then that, that all gets incorporated into the the confidence pyramid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I like that as well. Cause in terms of it, you know, you, you could apply it, I guess, to anything, to even to a goal, but the idea of the working on your confidence as well is important because you know, you, the stories you've had in the past might be actually undermining or have totally robbed you of any sense of confidence or self-belief that you can. Um, and that, that's one of the things when I've worked with with uh, some clients over the time is that it's kind of getting them back to a point where it, it, they actually can see and they have that belief that they can. And then how do we translate? Because you can have the tactics and all of the tactics, but if there's an underlying belief or feeling then that's a challenge the actions taking the actions can help increase confidence but there's also that idea of well what how do i start to build back my confidence so i love that idea again it's a daily the daily habits and routines the weekly the monthly the quarterly that'll help build that back yeah yeah, yeah most definitely um and really i mean as you as you alluded to there be, being able to have a sense of control over what what you're trying to do and it might just be one simple thing you need to do is is vitally important um but i think you know that most most coaches are well aware of the the controllables exercise so making a note of a situation you're in the factors that are outside of your control and inside of your control um Again, it's just such a simple exercise, but um, if you, you know, if anybody's out there having a bit of a difficult time or got a testing situation, that that exercise in itself is so so important. And yeah, you can do that on a, on a regular basis, and and then from there, by doing it, you you tend to find by focusing on the stuff that's within your control, you'll always have one or two little action items which can kick you on and, and move you forward. Yeah, uh, that that is it's a great exercise and something that you know when you're in the thick of it, sometimes you you can fall into the trap of focusing on what you can't do and how powerless you feel. But actually moving back to that and even the smallest of things that give you a sense of control can can reduce that sense of strain, but also increase your confidence over time. Because one of the things about confidence is that actually you gain it through getting that competence, getting that practice and doing and seeing it and, you know, seeing it grow, seeing the outcomes as well. So I, I think that's a really important thing to do. So a great activity as well. Um, certainly is and simple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I, and that's what I love. And I guess this is one of the reasons I want to talk to you about it was because, you know, from your perspective, the albeit you're working with athletes um, at a, you know, in a particular field, 
the tactics and the, the tools that you use have got to be practical, I guess, for the for the people you're working with because they need to see. Actually, I can see how I can do that because, you know, they've got to see them work and see that they're worthwhile doing and then taking them into, you know, working with anybody or, or for us to self-coach, which is what I often talk about here, is what can I do? So I think there's some good, great takeaways there. And I think two kind of aspects there are the, the what can you control, what can't you control in a given situation. It's a really useful exercise. Even if you grab a bit of paper and a journal and jot it down, you know, you've got your gratitude journal, which I love as a, as a practice, well, well supported by research, isn't it? Get that down. But then that pyramid, I think, is a great activity to do as well. And, and what, what could contribute to your well-being pyramid? I think that's a brilliant thing to think about and take away, actually. So, I'm conscious. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's no, great. I'm conscious of time because I know you've got to do this school pickup, haven't you? We've just been talking off air about um, the delights of having young children and, and uh, you know, norovirus and all sorts of things. <laughs> I know that it's uh, it's the joys of having to juggle a business with um, with getting kids picked up from school. So thank you for your time, David. Is there anything in terms of, we will include show notes and links to your work and 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 your podcast as well. Do you want to give a shout out for your podcast? Because it's a great podcast as well. Um, do you want to give a shout out for that? And any other, anything else you want people to, uh, you know, if anybody could connect with you? Yeah, so again, yeah, thanks for the opportunity to, to come on the show, Dave. Really enjoyed it. Um, in terms of, yeah, my work, as you say, I've got a, I've got a podcast that's been going for nearly two years now. It's called Demystifying Mental Toughness. It's It has got a sporting theme, but it does also link with into the sort of business world and, and people's lives as, in general as well. Um, my website is www.sport-excellence.co.uk. There's a whole range of resources there for the, the, the young, motivated child up to the, up to the, both for parents up to professional level athletes um and in i mean in terms of social media i'm, I'm on all of the platforms linkedin instagram facebook twitter you'll find you'll yeah you'll find the details in the, in the show notes it's probably yeah, the easiest yeah. way to do it <laughs> yeah and um yeah great and, and i followed obviously your journey with the podcast has been it's been it's a great podcast and also it's been interesting to see how it goes because we've had conversations around how we've wanted to do this and um i've, I've been admiring your the the um well, the fact that it's, it's two years it, it doesn't seem like five minutes but that you know the 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 number of episodes and and the range of guests it's been it's been great to sort of to listen in and see those so thanks very much for your time Dave it's been really it's been great to touch base and to catch up it's uh, been long overdue hasn't it over these last few eighteen months to two years but um, thanks for sharing what uh, some practical tools and tips and for all the listeners check out the show notes tap into the links and um, think about that well-being pyramid and the controllables as well. I think they're two really useful exercises to to sort of take away and think about how you might structure, you know, your your year ahead even, you know, with, with the architecture of well-being. So thanks very much, David, and uh, we'll catch everybody in next week's episode. Take care. Thank you for listening. You will find all show notes, links and resources mentioned at restlessmidlifer.com. And why not spread the word? If you know a fellow Restless Midlifer, share the show and the links. And if you haven't already, subscribe to it in your podcast feed of choice. And one more thing, if you enjoy the show, it would be great if you could rate it by visiting restlessmidlifer.com forward slash review. It would mean a lot. And I may even give you a shout out in return. And a quick final thanks to my production assistant, Karen North of North VA, for, and for the music, which is called Silver Star by the awesome Logan Nicholson of Music for Makers. Check out musicformakers.com. Take care for now, and don't forget, you really can live a less stressful, much healthier, and more meaningful midlife.
gory adventure. <laughs>